looking inside for Black with a catch. Laurent looks like he wants to go to work. Drives on Ugba. Fade away jumper in the lane is good. And Laurent Black, seven and a half, 11 for the game. Illinois can take the lead. Five minutes left, tied at 50. Allstore drives. Right wing Williams for the lead. And he got it. From the right wing for three. Lotta, long three, too hard, rebound. Tijon Lucas has it, four seconds, three, two, lay it up, got it, game over. Oh, and the Illini escape. 64-57 Illinois over Austin P. as the two good friends meet at midcourt. It's time for Saturday Sports Talk on News Talk 1400, WDWS Champaign-Urbana. We'll get you caught up on your Illini sports news along with other area national sports news. Here are Lauren Tate and Michael Kaiser. Good Saturday morning. Thanks for joining us on this cloudy day. Got some snow flurries falling as expected. 31 degrees. Not going to get a whole lot warmer today. Headed for a high of just 29 degrees today. Thanks for joining us. You can give us a call at 356-9397. Text us on the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 351-5357. Listen live at WDWS.com or email us at talk at WDWS.com. And as always, podcast of this show and others on our website and on iTunes. Lauren Tate, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I survived the evening. Yeah, you did. Uh, I think, uh, you know, we don't talk a lot about high school basketball on this show sometimes, but uh, the game last time between Central and Danville, Central won. But that's not the story, obviously. Three people were injured last night in a shooting. You were not even there. I was parked on... University Avenue, directly south of uh, the uh, the school, and uh, Jim Dye and I walked out that door and got in the car and drove right past where the shooting took place. Within moments, right after that, and some I don't know, multiple shots were fired. One one uh, young lady was hit in the arm, and and two others were injured. But we don't know the extent of the other injuries or how they came about. Champaign police uh, said uh, sometime after midnight that three people were shot and all. They were actually shot. They said three people. There was there were three people had injuries, and so uh, they they made seem to believe that three people were shot, but they're all non life threatening injuries. They appear to be non life threatening injuries, which is good news. Uh, one is a 17 year old female of Champaign, an 18 year old student of Parkland College, and a 15 year old female student over at Danville High School. So it's yeah they. When uh, Jim Rosso was uh, his son, Gus is on the central team, and they came rushing back into the uh, gym uh, immediately after the shortly after the game. I said I shouldn't say immediately because immediately uh, it I didn't know anything was happening, but uh, they came rushing back in after the shots took place, and they held them in the gym but till about 9:40 or 9:50. I heard uh, varying reports on that, but anyway, they held them in there for at least a half hour. And then released them, and and um, I don't I don't know uh, beyond that uh, I don't know who did the shooting, but the game became very uh, energized to say the least. Danville had three technicals called in the fourth okay. quarter. Central had well one of the technicals was a dual technical, which means Central had one too. And but but I there started to be some pushing and shoving, and the official was trying to get in the to get everything organized and get it stopped. But it was a, it was a bad situation. It was an ugly situation even at the end of the game. And uh, I think uh, the Danville team, obviously, uh, uh, as as it's, as the coach said, they, they kind of lost uh, their um, you know their composure. Yeah, I guess that's what you'd say. 
Yeah, disturbed. Nonetheless, a uh, disappointing situation. You don't don't want to see that after a high school basketball game. And these kind of things have happened like in places like Chicago in the past. But the uh, shootings right after high school basketball games here. Yeah, they moved a lot of games in Chicago the afternoon just to avoid the the problems that happen at night. But this was uh, this was a total surprise to me. I, I don't. I mean, I don't. I as I said, I drove right down University and uh, turned right and and headed back for home and. Um, I didn't know what was happening. Champaign Police, again, they said the, the shots were fired from an area east of the school, injuring three individuals, and so it sounds like three were shot, but again, all appear to be, and the key word is appear to be non-life-threatening injuries. Things could obviously change. A 15-year-old, a 17-year-old, an 18-year-old, two of them here locally. Well, one east east of, the, of the school means it was next to the park there, yeah, which, is, which means that the people that came out the the normal north side uh, probably turned to their to the right and to their right and and um, there's some kind of a uh, some something happening next to the park 500 block of West University Avenue is where were gunshot multiple gunshots were fired in the 500 block of West University Avenue which of course is right by the high school so uh, any details that come out about that any arrest no arrests have been made as of yet at least Champaign police haven't announced today so we'll bring you those to you. Well, some, uh, some other news going on uh, back to the sports world. Of course, the Atlanta men's basketball team. You heard some highlights from the uh, victory and escaping against Austin Pease. You heard Brian Barnhart say on those highlights, and the Atlanta escaped Austin P on Wednesday night. They play at UNLV tonight at 11 o'clock. Lauren, I've uh, worked morning drive this week, so which is earlier than normal, and the uh, last two nights I've fallen asleep with the TV on <laughs> just after 10. Uh, last time I checked, that's before 11. Uh, I'm going to try to make it tonight. I'm Are trying you to figure out it? whether to take a nap between 3 and 5 or between 5 and 7, but I'm going to take a nap somewhere along the way. Well, I need to take a nap, but I have a four-month-old daughter, and if she's awake, I won't be napping, clearly. <laughs> you know how that goes from having kids. So uh, I don't, I, we'll have to see how that goes. 11 but the, to 1, that's the game. My goodness. Yeah. And no post-game show, but, of course, if you go to uh, our website, uh, the blog section, Tim Dittman can break it down. You can still contact us. We're not going to do a post-game call-in show because it would start about 1.30 in the morning. Lauren, unless you want to come in and take some calls and read some text on the air after the game for reaction. I don't think you get many calls. No, I don't think so. People may be leaving the bar mad if, if they lose, <laughs> you know, so we definitely don't want that. So you can hear that game right here tonight on uh, DWS. Illini game day gets underway at 9.30 with Scott Beatty. Uh, so maybe you can put the radio next to your bed, Lauren, and just uh, listen to the game, and <laughs> then you probably really fall asleep at that point because it's going to be. I don't no dare lay on. down. No, see, no, that's I don't, uh, no, I got to watch that. I, I got to be sitting up. For I might have to stand up, and then I might still <laughs> fall asleep. So we'll see how that goes. Some uh, some college basketball games last night. Uh, six, number sixteen Arizona State beat St. John's eighty-two to seventy. Oklahoma got a win over number twenty-five USC, and uh, Nevada lost to number twenty TCU eighty-four to eighty. Well, before we take a time out here, we got a uh, guest in studio already, Mike Turk, the Illini uh, track and field head coach. Got some great news this week about uh, his program and the soccer program as well. We'll talk to him in a few minutes. But uh, the John Carlos sweepstakes, John Carlos Stanton sweepstakes, are now uh, apparently over. It's not official yet. It's not a done deal. The deal hasn't been signed, but he's going to the Yankees, according to several reports out there. And uh, the Cardinals and Giants were told no yesterday afternoon by Stanton. The first time officially they were told no on, on an official basis uh, but he's going to the Yankees, and uh, Aaron Judge already hits a lot of home runs that are go really well, well, far. One-two punch, that'll be. Yeah. Man, that is that is scary, scary for uh, p 
pitching of any anywhere in baseball, I, I would not want to face the Yankees next season. I don't. I haven't checked the schedule. I don't think the Cardinals play the Yankees next year. I, I hope, hope not. not. <laughs> yeah, I really hope not. We could look at that later, but man, I hope not. That's uh, that's a scary sight, and it's unfortunate the Cardinals couldn't get it done. But it was a really a long shot, Lauren, uh, f- from the beginning for the Why? Cardinals to get him. Well, just because he didn't want to go there. Yeah, and but did you know that before? Well, there have been a lot of reports that he said he was not going there, but not he didn't say it publicly, but a lot of people who talked to him had said he didn't want to go to St. Louis. He wanted to go out home to the Cal- California, to L.A., but that obviously didn't happen. The Dodgers have too much on their payroll, and they, and they just yeah, they talked a little bit, but it didn't get anywhere. So another uh, major player from Japan, uh, Shohei Otani, picked the Angels yesterday. The Cubs were involved in that one, a two-way player, and – It'll be interesting to see how he, if he, how much of that he's able to do here in the in a major league it baseball. It never works out. No, it hasn't since Babe Ruth. <laughs> well, he had to give up. Yeah, it's true. I mean, pitching. I mean, it just never works out to do both. No, it doesn't. And uh, some Illini volleyball news before we take a time out here. The season came to an end yesterday in the Sweet 16 up in uh, Happy Valley. Lost to Michigan State in three, th- uh, four sets, but 29-27 was the four set. It took Michigan State four match points to take down the Illini. Yeah, so no valiant match effort. point at 26-25 and, and, and didn't get the ball over the net on no. the serve. Yeah, and, and that's unfortunate, but... The Michigan State beat them three sets to none the first time they played this year, and so they Illinois almost won two sets this time around. Now Penn State would have been a tough uh, match today, but uh, the Illini and Chris Thomas's first season go to the Sweet 16. So congratulations on a, to a great season for the Illini volleyball team. We'll take a timeout. We'll come back. I already mentioned Mike Turkey is in studio. He's going to join us. Uh, he's uh, a happy man this week. Got a smile on his face uh, from the news conference the other day. We'll talk to Mike coming up next here on DWS. We don't have any on-site locker rooms at our current track and field facility, uh, not for our soccer team and, and not for our track and field student-athletes. No meeting rooms, no athletic training spaces. We have temporary spectator seating in, in less than opportune locations. Those of you who have had the, the good fortune of attending some of our track and field meets, you know our fans sit on the opposite side of the track from the finish line. Not the most enjoyable place to be if you're a fan of track and field. I think what's most exciting about this is it will give our student athletes a home. It will give them a place where they can have uh, time together, where they can pursue excellence in every facet of their experience. You've been around me enough to know that we talk about pursuing that excellence academically, athletically, and socially. And when our student athletes to leave here as champions in every facet of their lives, this will be a source of pride for them for our community, and it will be a home for these student-athletes, one that they truly have never had. And we'll tie together best-in-class technology with spectator amenities. We'll leverage some of the best assets from across this great university to be sure that we provide uh, one of the finest, if not the finest, facility of this kind anywhere in the country. Welcome back to Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. Lauren Tate, Michael Kaiser with you. 31 degrees at 914. That's Illini Athletic Director Josh Whitman making a big announcement this week at a new facility for soccer and for track and field. Something they don't have right now, to, to say the least. Uh, joining us now in studio, the head coach of Illinois Track and Field is Mike Turk. You heard those comments live in person the other day, and you hear them just again. And how as things have, you've known about this for a while, obviously before we knew about it, the, it was this was in the works, but now to have it officially announced 
and to be able to talk to people about it. You know, how do you feel just a few days later here, just experiencing this and getting this facility? You know, it's pretty amazing. I, uh, I think one of the cliches that you hear a lot of uh, athletes talk about after a big victory is it, it hasn't sunk in yet. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it took, uh, we've known about this for a couple of weeks now and, and it's taken some time and it's and I think the press conference for me was a turning point where it really did sink in about what was going on and the impact that this is going to have on our on our student athletes and their experiences is really magnificent it's just unbelievable for me and and so I couldn't be filled with any more joy than I am right now you've been around here a long time uh, you mentioned at the news conference you ran the uh, in track you were in the on, in the track f- complex at memorial stadium if, if people around here remember that and then you've been here for 12 years as coach i mean so you've been a lot of different places for the facilities here but now to, to have something like that how big of a change is that going to be well, you know, our day-to-day operations are, are going to completely change. Um, I think when you put yourself in the shoes of the athlete and you understand that we do have some locker facilities in Huff, which are, you know, less than sparkling, um, mm-hmm. you know, we make do the best we can. And, you know, we're not complaining about that so much. But when you realize that, you know, we have athletes that have to travel from Huff back down to the track, back and forth multiple times during the day, um, if you've ever been out there uh, during the spring, especially or late fall, um, you know that the uh, the wind and the rain can can whip in real quick across the prairies. And when you ever get a chance to um, be out there and you see kids scrambling around with their bikes and their backpacks and their skateboards and everything <laughs> else trying to find cover, um, and and you start to see the impact of that. And and then when you realize when we go other places and you see the kind of uh, branding and the way that they can honor the tradition and the history of their program and their facilities uh, because they have places like lounges and locker rooms and meeting areas and entryways uh, you know it's a huge impact and 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 so I, I just I think we're going to continue to to come up with a lot of different ways that this will impact us I mean even simple things like you know imagine what I have to do to go through to have a, a team meeting with with a hundred athletes and mm-hmm. coaches and, and finding a space to do that. Uh, you know, those are, those are critical things when you're trying to build a culture of a team yeah. to have a team meeting, you know, so. Here's what I want you to explain. First of all, we're going to have a, a, basically a stadium with stands facing both east and west. Soccer on one side, track on the other. You are in charge of women's track. These are women in soccer and you've got men Tell me how that's going to work in terms of the locker room areas. Does this will the soccer and the women's track be uh, together, or uh, is everything going to be? How, do, how does that work? Well, I I think it'd be premature for me to to, to say anything because I really don't know. We're, we're just entering a, a true design phase, um, and, and we've got a ways to go um, through the procedure of going through the board of trustees for approval and that sort of thing. But um, I, I don't think there's any intention to have this become just completely shared space as far as locker rooms and that sort of thing. Okay. I, my, uh, so you think the soccer will be on one side and then you'll have two spaces on the other side for the men and women? I, I think they'll. I think each team will end up having their own dedicated locker okay. space. Yes, I do. What are the problems in running a men and women's program? <laughs> You're in charge of both now. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of people to manage. That's that's one thing. Um, you said 100, huh? Yeah, about 100 athletes. Uh, I think we, we started the year with about 98 or 100 athletes. And 
uh, you know, our staff of coaches and trainers and support staff and that. It's a big operation. It's it's not too far off from, from like a football operation uh, as far as number of people. And, and you also have to understand the one thing that's different for us is we are truly the only program that competes from August until June. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we really don't have a time off. You know, in football, volleyball, other sports, you have an off season, and we really, truly don't. And, uh, and and so we're always on the go. Now, are you an overseer, or are you still coaching more men's track or and have somebody else? How, how does that work? I mean, I, I, I take the example of Lovey. Uh, Lovey Smith is basically an overseer. He's got a defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator, and he kind of oversees the whole thing. How do you work it? Well, the, the big advantage that we've experienced from this uh, consolidation of the programs is has been the addition of, more coaches and, and you know we're, before when you have a single gender program you're allowed to have three coaches a head mm-hmm. coach and two assistants so we had six coaches but when you're coaching single gender you can't cross over and, and work with the other gender okay so okay so most of the time in a situation like that a program is usually structured with a distance coach a sprint coach and a field event coach okay so when we get to where we can consolidate programs now we have you know, we have two sprint coaches, we have two distance so coaches, all the hurdlers, but we also have two field coaches. Hurdlers so. all work together, yes. men and women. Yeah, the occasionally. Hurdles are a little different because the the, the, the heights and the spacings yeah. are a little different, right. and the techniques are a little different. But but essentially, yeah. And and I think the big addition for me is, you know, um, we've been able to hire another field event coach. So uh, you know, the jumps and the throws we've been able to separate. So I'm only coaching the throws now instead of overseeing all of our field events and multi-events. Okay. Uh, and we have a coach that uh, specifically works with our jumper and multi-event athletes. And uh, so it does allow me to do more oversight than it than on-the-field coaching. I, I think um, I used to average about six to eight hours a day out actually on the field coaching, and now I'm a probably about two or three. Really? And, and it allows me more time to actually spend – um, you know, taking care of the things in the program that need to be done as far as administratively and, and planning. But also it gives me a, a, a much better opportunity to actually go to practice and, and watch the other athletes at practice and, and be involved with them a lot more on a personal basis. So that's something that I've really enjoyed about it is not having, you know, when we have some of our practice times, my kids are done for the day. And so it allows me to go over and, and spend time with the sprinters or the distance runners and, and the jumpers. So I, I've really enjoyed that. Mike Turk with us in studio as the head coach for University of Illinois men's and women's track. At the big news this week for Demersion Park, a $7 million gift donating toward an $18 million project. The, you know, I mentioned soccer because that's the part of this that Lauren mentioned it as well. A shared facility with another program for 20 years since soccer started in 1997. How difficult has that been to share a facility with another program? Uh, no matter what it is, is how difficult has that been for you guys? Uh, to be honest, it's probably been a lot harder for Coach Rayfield than it has okay. us. Um, you know, one of the things that, that happened when I came here was, you know, my interest in the throwing events. Uh, we certainly were a little devoid in the program at the time in that area. So, you know, we had to put in a new hammer cage, and, and we had to have a place to throw. And, uh, in fact, when I got here, the one hammer cage, they had two cages out on that field south of Atkins. and. The one of them had a padlock on it, and from what I understand, it had been locked for about 10 years. Oh, wow. Really? Um, yeah, evidently somebody hit a car in the parking lot or something, <laughs> yeah. so they locked the locked the cage up. Um, but uh, and, and I know when that happened, Janet lost significant practice space, and it's forced her to use her game field a lot for practice. And 
Um, we've had a few, you know, conflicts, uh, time and space, but, uh, you know, one of the things is Coach Rayfield's great uh, to work with. She's very flexible, and, uh, you know, we certainly um, know the boundaries that when it's fall, it's, it's really their in-season time, and they have a priority. But that's kind of the point. Why are we worried about who's priority and who's in season? You know, mm-hmm, other schools exactly. don't, aren't worried about that. And, and you know, our, our other programs don't have to worry about that. So, you know, that's something that is, uh, is, is just a, a basic level. This, there are, there's always facilities talks Josh, since Josh has been here and other ADs, of course. I mean, you've been through, I think, three ADs now with Ron, Gunther, Mike Thomas, and now Josh. There's the talk of all the facilities that need to be done, but it usually was most of the time it's been focused as far as the major scale projects, you know, Memorial Stadium and State Farm Center, which impacted men's and women's basketball and then Memorial Stadium, of course, football. Did you think it, it would get down to you at some point when you were optimistic even just a couple of years ago that a project would make it to your program? Uh, I would because say it hasn't. I would say a couple of years ago I was hopeful. Okay. <laughs> um, when Josh uh, came here, I want to say probably the, within the first week of him being here, and, and I think he may have mentioned this in his initial press conference uh, when he talked about facilities. And you know, the thing that he told me was, "It may take us a while, but we're gonna, I'm going to get to you. We're going to yeah. get it done." And um, you know, at that time, I really kind of thought we were probably a little lower on that list of the timeline. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were very fortunate with this opportunity to, to kind of pair two sports together mm-hmm. uh, and find a donor that was interested in that, to champion that, uh, you know, was I, I think moved us up the list a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I do believe that uh, we need a lot of work on facilities, and I do believe that everybody's going to be addressed, you know. Uh, I know it's a priority and uh, so it was great to hear that. It was nice to hear someone say, honestly, you know, we're going to get to work. It might take us a while, but we are going to get this done. And, and that's all I've ever asked for is for someone to be honest with me and, mm-hmm. and, yeah. uh, and that. So, well, You know what I'm going to ask about home meets? Yes. <laughs> uh, indoors, you're fine. you still got the armory, and that works fine. I, I, as far as I know, it works okay. It's not the most perfect place, I suppose. It's a little older. It's difficult for us to draw teams in here. Okay. And that's the industry standards have moved away from the flat 200-meter track. You know the history of the Armory. That used yeah. to be a, a much bigger track in there until they closed the walls down and and uh, and, and standardized it to a 200-meter track. And the NCAA, uh, most of our qualifying times indoors are coming off a 300- and 200-meter bank tracks. And you schools bet. don't want to run on flat tracks anymore. Yeah, so. but I'm— but I'm getting around outdoors. Yep. Because um, the spring, you know, outdoors. Once you have the stadium, once you have the stands there, I would think that'd be a, you know, that's far better for the fans. I mean, it will be. And um, what about home meets? Have you th- any thoughts about trying to get anything more than one meet a year? I I do have some thoughts about that. I think uh, it's going to be difficult because our, you know, in this climate, the spring is so short. It'll be difficult for us to, to come up with much more than a couple of meets for our collegiate team during the year. But I, I do think that uh, there's a tremendous opportunity for us uh, with the new facility to address this that, that can bring people to campus. And, and uh, I really something that really resonated with me was Kara uh, Demersion talking about uh, the e- economic impact on the community mm-hmm. that we can have with this facility. And, and, and she talked about sp- soccer being able to draw you know, maybe some pro exhibitions and that sort of thing. And, and I think there's a lot of things that we could do with a first-class facility. Well, you can host draw people. a better chance to host, I would think, now. Well, that's, and that's, you know, that's my... I uh, mean, Big Ten. Yeah, man. that's my target is, you know, to be able to host some championship events both uh, within the Big Ten, possibly the NCAA. Uh, we, you know, we'd like to look at maybe a prelim round 
mm-hmm. uh, competition, uh, but also looking at uh, youth track in the summer. I think it's an opportunity for us to really grow the sport. Uh, we have uh, in the state of Illinois, we're, we're one of the top producing states of participants in the sport. Mm-hmm. And I think to have an outlet of a first class facility for the young kids coming up during the summer would be a, would be an outstanding opportunity for us. One last question. Tell me about your team this year. Where do you stand? Uh, our men's team is going to be really competitive. We have, uh, when we get to outdoors, you know, we always kind of uh, perform our best at the end of the outdoor season. Mm-hmm. That's always our target. Uh, I think we'll be, uh, I think we'll be respectable indoors. We'll we'll make some noise, but I think when we get outdoors, uh, we've got some really outstanding top level talent, especially returning with our great hurdler Dave Kinzira mm-hmm. and uh, Jonathan Wells is going to have a fabulous year in the jumps. And, uh, you know, of course, our distance crew with John Davis and Jesse Reiser and, and Devin Quinn in the sprints. I mean, we've got, we're really got a nice men's team. Our women's team is much younger. We're rebuilding. And uh, I'm really pleased with the character and the enthusiasm that we have in the program. Uh, we're going to have to grow. We've, we've got a ways to go. And, and there's no mistaking that. But uh, I know that this group of people will be uh, very competitive for us. And you know what I want to see is, is the spring where we went in track. Baseball, <laughs> everything. How about that? That's, that happened just a couple of years ago. It, it, that was 2015. Yeah. yeah, it was 2015, and what a great spring that was. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Mike, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks so much, Mike. Congratulations. I know it's a big moment for your program, and I think uh, the community as a whole to see an Olympic sport, and sports, I should say, in this case, uh, get new facilities. Uh, it's great. Uh, the focus is, Josh said, it, sometimes it's focused on football and, and, and basketball but the other sports need it too. And I know that Dan Hartlib and others would like uh, to get a piece of the pie, and I know that Josh is focused on doing that. And so congratulations once again to you and your program. Thank you. Yep, that's Mike Turk, head coach for University of Illinois Track and Field. We'll take a timeout. We'll switch back over to basketball and talk to Robbie Hummel, former Purdue Bullet now part of the Big Ten Network. That's coming up next on DWS. Jackson, Hummel will try again. Got this one. Moore tracks it down for the Boilermakers. They can take the lead. Coming down toward the one-minute mark now. Hummel for the lead. Got it. Bad back and all. Puts the rookie Hummel into the game. And that is Hummel. Robbie Hummel, 6'8 player out of Purdue. Hummel for three and the lead. Make it two for the rookie Robbie Hummel. And Minnesota lead. Hummel. That guy's not bashful. Need a stop. Rubio escaping. Hummel for three. Welcome back to Saturday Sports Talk on DWS. 31 degrees at 9.33. Thanks for joining us on this Saturday morning. Those highlights courtesy of ESPN and Comcast Sportsnet. The man joining us in those highlights, Robbie Hummel, former Purdue Boilermaker, also spent a couple of years in the NBA with the Minnesota Timberwolves, now a part of the Big Ten Network. Robbie Hummel, good morning. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. How are you guys doing? Not too bad. Uh, well, Illini fans heard a lot of those shots go in uh, when you when you played against Illinois, and so I. Uh, but uh, it's good to have you on the broadcast now, and uh, got to hear some of the game the other night. You seem pretty comfortable here early in the season. Yeah, it's been really fun. Um, you know, I've always kind of had, I guess, an interest in, in broadcasting and enjoyed listening to different guys do it. Um, but as the opportunities have kind of come forward, it's been fun to kind of learn the business, you know, and hopefully get better at it. Well, what, uh, you got to see the Illini up close the other night. Uh, they played Austin P, which plays a, a similar style on, on both ends, at least especially on the defensive end. 
What have you did you see from the Illini in that game on uh, Wednesday night? Uh, I mean, it was it was kind of a gross basketball game. <laughs> there were a lot of turnovers. Yeah. yeah, not a lot of made shots. Um, but you know what? At the end of the day, they Illinois won, and I think that's really what's most important. When you're in February and March, you're not gonna you know, look back at the Austin P game and think, um, "Oh man, we didn't play very well." It's gonna be you know you won the game. So, and I think as you grow as a basketball team when you're young and inexperienced, um, those are games that you have to win. And I think that I look back at, at my freshman year at Purdue, we were doing kind of the same thing. We started four freshmen and a sophomore at certain points in the season. And you know, we actually lost to Wofford and we were down uh, 17-0 with eight minutes to go in the first half to Florida International. And we ended up winning that game and we struggled against the Texas Southern team. So it, you know, it, it, it can be, one of those deals where you're learning how to win, you're learning how to play together, and I think Illinois is still kind of doing just that. Robbie, this is Lauren. Uh, excessive numbers of turnovers and fouls, and along with some erratic shooting, why so many turnovers and fouls? Uh, and, and is this uh, across the country, or is this just what we're seeing here? Um, I mean, I, I think the turnover aspect, especially for Illinois, is just these guys trying to figure out what Coach Underwood wants. You know, you're learning a new offense and a new system and trying to, to really get that figured out. And his offense is certainly um, a little more complicated than a lot of offenses are. But I think once you learn it and it becomes second nature, it's really something that can be run effectively. Um, as for it being national, I, I think, you know, you see a lot of teams that turn the basketball over. I, I think that a lot of people argue that maybe with the way – AEU basketball is these days that kids don't maybe know how to necessarily play as much off the basketball in a motion type setting opposed to just, you know, a lot of kids play pick and roll and just pound the basketball and really know how to play with the ball in their hands. Um, and, and I think, you know, Illinois just hasn't made shots too. That That's something that goes into the, the lack of shot making. They, they've got, I think, four or five guys that are shooting under what is it, 25% from the three-point line? So, oh, yeah, they, uh, those um, uh, those young guards are shooting 14.6%, the four of yeah, them. Yeah, right, and, and it's one of those deals, too, where when you go from high school to college, there's certainly a, a big jump in the way that um, space gets closed down and the way that you just have to find shots. They're, the players are better, the speed of the game is faster, um, and as you move up in basketball, whether it's high school to college, college to pro, that, that change is going to take place, and you kind of have to resettle in and, and get comfortable again. What about the, the fouling? Uh, it seems that our uh, officials calling it, let's say, the same as when you played or, or before you played? No, no. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> um, I think that I would fall out in, in most games, and I know Chris Kramer would fall out. <laughs> yeah, no way. You're he, kidding, right? <laughs> he, he used to really be physical and body guys and, It'll be interesting to see as we get into Big Ten play. It seems like every year yep. you have the officials focused on the the new rules, and as you get into Big Ten play, they kind of relax, and it becomes more of a physical um, almost battle, you could say. But with the new cylinder rule where you can't encroach on people's face, it's the, you know, the advantage is to the offense. And it's always been that way, but even more so now. And to me, sometimes some of these – calls it's almost like you know let the game play yeah. i get they want more offense but you could argue that this offense is being generated from the free throw line which to me is is boring you know i mean i don't want to watch 
guys shoot free throws. I want to watch them play basketball. But, um, yeah, it, it's officiated totally different now. Chris Kramer would would certainly have to adjust his style um, because he was very physical. Well, you know, Purdue's had really tough defenses, I think, over the years. And, and part of it, I think, is because of the strength in the middle. they got Haas now. they got Harms coming up. Looks he's like he's going to be a shot blocker, too. Um, what is it about Painter's game that allows Purdue to play year after year such solid defense? Well, I mean, they practice a lot. And if you came to one of our practices when I was playing or if you come to one of their practices now, they're going to work a lot on their defensive principles and they're very well drilled in what they do. Um, I think he's done a good job of adjusting to his personnel. Um, you know, when we were there, we played a very similar style to what Coach Weber did where we were kind of into passing lanes and we, we pressured. Um, he doesn't necessarily do that as much anymore, but he also has – um, has had guys like A.J. Hammonds um, and now Matt Harms who can protect the rim. And then his other big guys have been less, I guess, rim protectors with Biggie Swanigan um, and Isaac Haas, guys that don't really protect the rim as well for their size. So he, he's kind of used that for when, they, I guess, they've, they've funneled guys to those bigs that can block shots. And when the guys that, that aren't as much shot blockers are in the game, they, they've kind of packed it in and, and just defended the paint. Robbie Hummel, former Purdue Boilermaker, joining us on Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS, now an analyst at the Big Ten Network, called the game for the Illinois and Austin P on Wednesday night. Well, the class of the Big Ten, Robbie, uh, clearly right now is Michigan State, uh, but there are some really good teams. We, we talked about Purdue a little bit already, but who do you think, besides maybe Michigan State and Purdue, Minnesota looked good and they struggled the other night. Uh, who are the, the couple other top teams in the Big Ten in your mind? Um, I mean, after those three, it's really – you could kind of lump together five or six teams where that are kind of that second tier. I, I think it's a big, it's a big weekend for the for the conference. You know, UCLA comes into Michigan. Yep. Marquette, Wisconsin is a big game. Indiana plays at Louisville. Nebraska's at Creighton. Uh, Minnesota's got a tough one down in Arkansas. And then, you know, we talked Illinois is at UNLV tonight. So it's kind of a big day, I think, for the conference in terms of getting back on its feet after that big tenacity challenge. Um, it, it just kind of was disappointing, I think, to see some of the, I guess, scores or, or matchups go the way they did. But, um, it, yeah, it's a, it's a hodgepodge of teams that are kind of in that second tier right now. I think that you could throw Ohio State, Michigan, um, I guess, Illinois, Maryland. Well, Indiana. hey, Maryland looked to me like they could play, Robbie. No, they, they can play. I think they've got some issues that they need to figure out. You blow a 20-point lead in Champaign. Um, didn't do a good job of putting putting the alignment away. But they, they have some pieces there. I, I would probably say they're, to me, the fourth or fifth best team in the conference. And Cowan was just incredible in, the, in that game, and uh, he seems to me like one of the best guards in the Big Ten now that uh, Melo Trimble is gone. He could really shine, but he – he was great at the beginning of the game and disappeared for a, a little bit, but in the end, that's when you need him to show up, uh, as you well know, and he really helped finish that game with a couple of key plays. No, I mean, he just he got it done in the paint. He made plays for others. He made plays for himself. Um, certainly a guy that's talented and is, is, like you said, kind of just stepped you right in there for Mello and is, has certainly led their offense. Well, I want to ask about Purdue. Um, obviously, that they're pretty good right now. There was a, a couple of years ago. There was a down period for a brief period, uh, but Matt Painter has turned it around. What changed 
to where they went down and to where the Boilermakers are, are now back here the last few, few couple, two or three years? Uh, I mean, they had some highly recruited kids that maybe weren't right for, for the fit that Coach Payne's looking for and that I guess Purdue was looking for. And, and those kids transferred, and when they did, and I guess even when they were there for the, that year or two, they just they played selfish basketball and, and they weren't really a team. And I think that you look at the senior class they have now of Isaac Haas, P.J. Thompson, Dakota Mathias, and Vince Edwards, and you've got to give them a lot of credit for for coming in and, and you know, really, I think, helping guys like Rafael Davis, um, guys guys like that, that that were doing things the right way. And they, they kind of, I think, followed his lead and really took what he was saying to heart. And, you know, they, they weeded out those kids that, that weren't really all in about Purdue University and, and playing the right way, and I think they they really weather the storm. And you look at the run that they've been on; it's it's really been pretty pretty cool and pretty fun to watch. Hey Rob, I'm going to switch you over to yourself and your family because people ask, uh, doesn't he have some background in Champaign Urbana? <laughs> and, and take take me back to your your grandfather and your father. Tell us all about both of them. Yeah, so uh, my grandpa was a chemistry professor um, at the University of Illinois, and. Um, my his dad, name is John. Yes. Okay. Yeah, John Howell. Mm-hmm. And uh, my dad, Alan, and his two brothers and sister all went to the University of Illinois. My dad played tennis there. Um, if you asked him, he'd claim that he got you know, the, the ball rolling for their national title in sure. 2004 or five, even though he played in 1978 or whatever it was. But um, yeah, I played tennis there. Um, my grandparents still live in Champaign, so growing up, I was always at. Illinois basketball um, games, Illinois volleyball games at Huff Gym. We ice skate in the, in the ice rink or hockey arena or whatever it is on campus. Um, yeah, grew up uh, grew up in Champaign a lot. That's for sure. Uh, tell us uh, when you you were at Valparaiso High School and you had a heck of a team there. Uh, were you recruited by Illinois? Was there any consideration of Illinois at that time? Um, you know, I, I visited for a football game and, and actually got to play in an open gym where the national runner-up team was back. So that was really cool. So D and um, James were still on the team, but Darren and Luther Head and Roger Paul and those guys all came back to kind of get their rings and go to the football game and visited, um, had a really good visit, played well in the open gym. And, you know, Illinois was recruiting some other guys. They, they had Eric Gordon committed. They, they just took Bill Cole and, you know, me and Bill are, are pretty much the same position, so I think they were still recruiting Derrick Rhodes and some other guys and ended up going a different direction. But um, I, they never offered me a scholarship, um, which, you know, I I understood. I, I get that you recruit other people, and um, it was just one of those deals where it probably worked out for the best, and I'm, you know, I'm fortunate that I ended up where I was at Purdue because we had a great group of guys and an awesome team to play with for, I guess, five years for me. Um, and I, you know, I don't look back at, at all on that. Now Cardinal was nine and zero against Illinois. What was your record <laughs> yeah, against Illinois? Uh, we had a rough spot my sophomore year. I say we we won twice my uh, we were two and one my freshman year. Then we were one and two my sophomore year, and then my junior the year I sat out in my senior year we never lost them again. Okay, so then we beat them like eight times in a row. So Cardinals got you. <laughs> yeah, he's got a better winning percentage than me. What's he doing, by the way, right now? 
Um, so he's working at Purdue a little bit in alumni relations, and then he's also working with the NBA. I right. Think, whether that's in like a, a developmental role, I want to say, maybe for post-career um, uh-huh. type deals, I think. But he he stays busy. He's down in the Bahamas with Purdue, um, living the good life with his wife and kids. I, know right. I saw his dad. Saw his dad at the Illinois uh, Maryland game when I called it. Um, just a great family. Just a yeah, really, I, really good group. I knew he was doing something with the NBA now, and I don't know how that worked out with him. So he's basically going back and forth, but it's his uh, long-range plan to to uh, to stay with the NBA in that post-career business. It kind of sounds like it, just from talking to him. I, I know he likes the, the alumni stuff at Purdue, but I think that role's kind of been scaled back a little bit. Okay. He's kind of doing this deal where uh, helping former players out of the league. So that's uh, been pretty cool for him. Well, Robbie, let's uh, get your thoughts on the UNLV game tonight. A, a really tough matchup for the Illini against UNLV in terms, especially in the paint. The Illini, as you saw up close and uh, personal, they don't have a lot of size on the defensive end, at least, uh, to deal with uh, guys like Brandon McCoy and, and other guys for UNLV. you got two guys averaging over 11 rebounds a game. What do you see the Illini's chances in that game, and what are they going to have to do to get a win against UNLV? Yeah, I mean, you, you talked about Brandon McCoy. He's certainly gotten off to a really impressive start for a freshman. Uh, I think he's like fourth or fifth in the country in scoring for, for freshmen. So uh, he's ever 20 a game, big body. Um, one of those guys that was really highly recruited. And, and I think if you're Illinois, it's going to be, they're going to have to make some threes. I mean, it's, it's one of those deals where you're not going to be able to get in the paint with a guy like him um, and have a ton of success. So for, for Illinois, I'd say it's going to be important for them to, to make some jump shots. They cannot turn the basketball over. Um, I think for, for Illinois, it's, it's going to be a story for them all year. You know, when they don't turn the ball over and they can create some offense, they're going to have success. And I think they've struggled kind of to to figure out what they're doing offensively at times. They've had those lulls where they don't score for, you know, five, six, seven minutes, and that just can't happen against a quality team on the road. You have to be consistent. You have to get stops. And you have to be able to knock down some shots. How difficult is it, Robbie, um, to learn a, a new system, especially a guy like Brad Underwood, who is very demanding, uh, and it's kind of a culture change, and, and he's trying to deal with the you know the, the losing mentality of this program has had the last few years. He's talked about that as well. How th- difficult is it for the players that were here to adjust to him it's still early in the season, especially playing Big Ten games already. Yeah, I mean, it's really difficult. There's a lot to, to learn. And, and, you know, just from talking to Coach around, he was saying you know, we haven't been able to put a ton in offensively because we struggled with the basics of it. We can't get to the counters in the offense because, you know, he was saying they've got a counter for everything the defense does, and they just haven't been able to really get there in terms of, of really knowing what they're doing just in the basics of it. So, I think as you you see them get more comfortable, it's gonna it's gonna be something that they can get figured out, and it will it will look better. Um, but for some guys, it's, it's a fresh start too, and I, I think you've seen that with with like a guy like Aaron Jordan. You know, he's making shots at a high level. He didn't have a great game against Austin P, but really didn't get many quality looks. And I think that that's something that they need to figure out with a guy that's shooting sixty percent from the three point line is how can we get him some really good looks at the basket. Obviously, he's on a scouting report now. He's he's a marked man. Um, but it, it's going to take some time, and I think you'll see as they get more comfortable with it, it's, it's going to be one of those things where I'm sure in practice they drill it and drill it and drill it, and uh, as it becomes second nature, you'll see improvements in the offense. 
Robbie, I uh, apologize earlier. I said you were the, uh, here for the Austin P game. You're here for the uh, Maryland game, like you mentioned. I, uh, Stephen Barta was here the other night, but uh, so I got you t- you two flip flopped in the game. No, you're fine. So, but uh, I mean, it's, Stephen Barta had a good career here, so I'm sure you don't mind being uh, flip flopped. No, that's uh, not a bad guy to, to be compared to as a player or broadcaster. Well, Robbie, uh, appreciate your time this morning. Thanks so much. We'll do it again as the season moves along. And actually, I want to ask you: What are, are you a big fan of uh, the early season Big Ten games? I know we, there's a, the reason for it's a Big Ten tournament is earlier, but what are your right. thoughts on the early Big Ten conference games? Uh, I mean, I'm all for it. I I see where the coaches don't some of them don't like it because they're you know having to play really three Power Five conference teams in a row. Um, but to me. I want to see these guys play against good competition. You know, when, yep. when you see games that are, you know, I, I don't want to punk out any <laughs> any smaller schools, but Go ahead. You know, when, when you see some of these matchups, it's just like, why are they playing? Like, I, I really don't understand what you're getting out of playing a team with an RPI in the you know 320s or above. So, I like to see Michigan State play Rutgers or Penn State in in December, just because you know that's that's good for for the game and I think it's it's good for, for Michigan State to see where they're at or whether that's Illinois, Maryland or Illinois or Northwestern or Purdue, Maryland or whoever. I you know, those matchups are intriguing to me. Let's get the conversation in this part of the year where, you know, I guess college football kinda of takes a back seat, the bowl games are announced, there's not any games. Why can't we play some big ten games where you get some top twenty five matchups? That that to me makes sense. You like the idea of going to twenty? I'm all for that too. Okay. The more better games, the better. But but as a player, I am too. I, mean, I think I, the fans I, I are too. The, you no doubt. I think it's great for the game. For the players, it's good too. It's it's way more fun to play, you know, games where you're playing Big Ten teams or playing on the road in, in Big Ten games um, than it is to play against some of these schools that that really, you know, it's it's just one of those deals where it's like, all right, let's go out there, let's win, let's let's get this done. Um, I think it's great for the league. I, I think um, it's also going to really even the bar in terms of when you win the Big Ten now, you didn't just win it because your schedule right. was favorable. You had to go out there and win the league because you had to go to most places. And you, you'll still have – you can't play everybody twice, obviously, with the 14 teams now, but it's at least a step in the right direction. Because when, we, when I was playing, you know, there was 11, 12 Big Ten teams my last year, but – you know, you pretty much went everywhere. So if you, you know, if you won the league, you really won the league, and that's going to be kind of a step in that direction. Robbie, have a great weekend and enjoy all the action. Uh, and a pleasure to have you on the Big Ten and Network. And we'll we'll talk to you later this season. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank yep. you. That is Robbie Hummel, former Purdue Boilermaker, joining us on Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. And, Lauren, I got to hear the game on Sunday night against Maryland. I watched some of it at home before I came over uh, later, and I thought he did a good job. Uh, and he's, he sounds uh, good, and he's, I think he's a good addition for the, for the Big Ten. He's a natural. Yeah, I, 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 that's a good word to use for sure. Had a question, got a caller earlier asked about the location of the new facilities uh, for soccer and track and field. So if you look at Illinois Field, which is along uh, uh, Florida, uh, Kirby slash Florida, the the track stadium is right there directly to the south of that and then to the east you're going to have the state immersion park stadium and then to the east of that will be two soccer fields the competition field and then the practice field and so that's just directly north of st mary's road as well so if that's so again it's just directly north basically of st mary's road and south of illinois field and south of the con 
outdoor tennis complex. And so Eichelberger Field's off to the to the northeast from there. Yeah, one easy way to think about it is yeah, the yeah. track stays the same. Yes, yep. The track you. is right where it is now. It will be redone. Then there will be a stadium directly east of that, and then the soccer t- east of that. All right. Well, that's uh, we'll take your time. And, and the stands face both ways. I mean, you you'll have stands uh, you, the same stands for soccer and for you know facing opposite directions. All right. We'll take a time out. Uh, I also want to mention uh, two birthdays today. Uh, it's not Lauren Tate's. This was a few weeks ago, but it is Dick Buckus's 75th birthday today. Happy birthday to former Illini, former Chicago Bear, of course, now a member of the University of Illinois Athletics Hall of Fame. He turned 75. And also Martin O'Donnell turned 33 today. Oh, my goodness. So now the color analyst on the Illini Sports Network uh, for the Illini football games. So you can and hear. Kirk Douglas. Kirk Douglas is 101. Enough. Gives hope for all of us. Yeah. Lauren, I think you're going to live to be... <laughs> Uh, 86? No, no. I, I, 186 <laughs> the way you're going these days. You'll be covering a lot of games all the, for, all the way till the so. <laughs> I don't think so. Famous last words, Lauren. Mm-hmm. We'll take a timeout. We'll come back. We're going to switch over to baseball. Uh, if you haven't heard the news this morning, it's not been officially signed. Uh, John Carlos Stanton, the sweepstakes are over. We'll talk to you. We'll let you know who that is, what team he is going to. Rob Raines covers the St. Louis Cardinals. We'll have uh, Rob Raines' thoughts on what happened with Stanton and what's next for the Cardinals. That's coming up next on DWS. Stanton drives it. Left field deep. Back goes Peterson at the wall. Leaps. Gone! Top of the wall. And a tie game. Oh, my. Line drive. Left field deep and gone. In the blink of an eye. It's usually slider territory. Fastball, line to center. That's deep. That is gone. Like a rocket. Welcome back to Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. 32 degrees coming up on 10 o'clock. Those highlights would have been nice. It's John Carlos Stanton with the Marlins. Uh, going to be formerly of the Marlins here real soon. Those highlights courtesy of Fox Sports Florida. The Cardinals would love to have those balls flying around Bush Stadium, but it won't be in a Cardinals uniform. Joining us now of St. Louis Sports Page, Rob Raines covers the Cardinals. Rob, the news this morning looks like it's it's not official yet, but it's about as close as you can get to be official that John Carlos Stanton is going to the New York Yankees. Uh, I guess not a surprise there because the Yankees always find a way to get involved in these things. How are you, sir? I'm good. It's a surprise, uh, you know, except for the last 24 hours. We didn't know until until yesterday that uh, the Yankees were on his approved list of, of trading partners. You know, that finally came out yesterday that, you know, it was the, the four teams that made it to the League Championship Series last year were the only four teams he had said he'd go to. So, and as far as I know, he hasn't officially said yes to this, this trade, but mm-hmm. it, apparently it's all, it is a, all but a done deal pending a physical and anything uh, coming out of that that uh, would be a red flag. So, yeah, I haven't heard you know the package of prospects going to him. I mean, you, you look at it, the the new you know vice president or whatever his title is in Miami is a, a guy that came from the Yankees as far as their front office is concerned. So he certainly knows the prospects in that organization. It's a very good organization as far as you know number of prospects that they have. So I'm sure they got a good package. Probably not quite as good a package as the Cardinals would have given them. I don't know about the Giants, but it's. Uh, you know, when, when you have a no-trade clause and, and we could get frustrated all we want, I think the Cardinals front office did everything they could do to try to get him to convince to, to waive that uh, that part of the contract. And when he wouldn't do it, he you know he got that 
you know, no trade clause for a reason, so he could play where he wanted to play, and, and that's, you know, the result of what happened. Give Rob Raines a follow on Twitter at Rob Raines. He, again, stlouissportspage.com. He's an author, member of the 2017 class of Missouri Sports Hall of Fame. Rob, why do you think it is uh, that he did not want to wave it to St. Louis? Because uh, L.A. is where he really wanted to go because he went to high yeah. school just basically down the road, less than 20 miles away from Dodger Stadium. Why do you think he did not want to go to St. Louis? It's not really been said why he didn't want to go there. Yeah, and I don't know the answer to that question. I I thought the only team he would agree to go to is the Dodgers. I mean, I thought that's what he was holding out for, that that was the only team he wanted to play for. I guess potentially the Angels, but they weren't interested and didn't have the money and obviously now got, you know, a big player of their own yesterday with Otani coming, you know, and signing yeah. a, a deal with them. So, you know, the Yankees thing kind of surprised me a little bit. I mean, I guess, you know, we talked, you know, Matt Holliday talked about it last year, you know, after he signed with the Yankees. He said it's kind of everybody's goal in baseball, at least, you know, the majority of players that go in baseball at some point is to play for the Yankees because, I mean, that is the most storied franchise in, you know, baseball history. And, you know, you've got the ability to play in New York and all the marketing potential and, and things that uh, occur, you know, if you're in that city and in that market. So I guess that was enough to get him to sway, you know, the, the love for Los Angeles. So I, I don't know that we'll ever know really what his, his reasons were other than that his just preference was to be in a, a, a bigger market like L.A. or New York. Could it be, this is Lauren, uh, could it be that he's got the same feelings about St. Louis that Hayward did? When Hayward went to Chicago, he uh, he wanted to be with a younger, uh, more vibrant team with, with star mm-hmm. athletes like Rizzo and Bryant. The Cardinal, if you took half of the Cardinal regulars and traded them, it wouldn't make any difference because they spent half the time in the minors anyway. I mean, I just think that I think the Cardinals have gone into a, a level of mediocrity across the board that's really hard to hard to correct what do you think yeah it you know it, it it ebbs and flows i mean you know everything is cyclical in baseball you know and and you can't you know the cardinals problem has been and i don't know the problem is probably you know put that in quotes it's probably not the actual right word to to describe the situation is but you know they they've tried to remain competitive and put a team on the field that can have a chance to be in the playoffs even if they've fallen short the last couple of years i mean they were at least you know in the hunt down to the you know, final, you know, one, one year, one day and one last week, you know, last year, um, while trying to rebuild at the same time and get younger, you know, and, and they've also had to do it without totally tanking where they would get, you know, the top five picks in the draft. I mean, you know, they're, you know, pick, haven't they been picked higher than 19th in the draft in like, you know, 20 years. So, you know, I think that, you know, Bryant and, and I know Rizzo was a trade, but I mean, the Cubs got Bryant because of where they were in the standings, you know, the Astros got better because all the high, you know, two years, years in a row, they had the overall number one pick in the draft. So, so, right. you know, it's been a, it's been a challenge for them to, to stay competitive and have a chance to be in the playoffs while also, you know, realizing that there was, they're going through a transition period when their old, their players are getting older, their star players have been so good for so long and they have to replace them with, with younger guys. I think the Cardinals farm system is really, really loaded. And I think it's just a transition period really that we're going through until those guys are, are ready to become, you know, good young big league players. How many of those players do you think they would trade if they had the opportunity though? Depends I mean, on who they're getting back. Yeah, of course. You know, I mean I think I mean I think I don't I think there's probably really very few, maybe I don't know, maybe one or two guys in the in all of baseball that they would trade Alex Reyes for. I don't oh, think they're boy. gonna trade Carson wanna, Kelly. I don't want to let him go. I don't think go. they're gonna trade Yeah, see I'm sure I I don't think really any of their top four or five prospects they would trade for you know almost anything i, I don't think they're going to trade polarity i mean i think i think that they have committed to these guys and they're they realize that okay maybe you know it's going to take another year or two before they're 
really ready to be established and, and be, you know, guys that everybody else looks to. I, I think that there's probably very few players on the current big league roster that are not available in trades. I mean, I think they would trade off the big league roster before they would trade some of the top prospects. Yeah, well, that's what I'm thinking. I, I mean, I, I think that uh, if, if, if you look at the ball club and uh, I, I, can Jerko have another good year as a shortstop uh, a reality or uh, they must think it is or they wouldn't have traded Diaz but left field, right field, second base, and then where are you, where are you going to play Carpenter? I mean, it, this this is a this is a scary thing for They've me. They've got a lot of moving pieces. Yeah, this is this is going to be a really interesting week down in Orlando because I think now that they have the Santon situation resolved, they know that he's you know what what his situation is that that opens up all the other possibilities for them as far as trading anybody to anywhere is concerned. I think they're going to be very aggressive and very active. I think they know they need to do something. They know they need that bat. They know they need the closer. They know to cl- they've got to clear up all this confusion and logjam of players in the outfield. So I, I think it could be, uh, you know, by this time next week, we could be talking about a whole different uh, lineup, I think. Rob Rains of com joining us on Saturday Sports Talk on DWS. Give him a follow on Twitter at Rob Rains. Uh, Rob, let's, let's stick with the Marlins, though. Uh, Stanton is uh, not coming, uh, but there are two other guys on the Marlins, Christian Yelich and Marcel Ozuna, two guys the Cardinals are interested in. Uh, and there's several other, you know, you mentioned a closer. We'll get to that in a little bit. Um, what, which one do you think is the most realistic one out of the two, and which one do you think it would be is the best player out of the two? I like Ozuna. Um I think a couple of reasons. One, he signed for you know got two years of control, just arbitration eligible, not not signed to a long term contract. Yelich is a year younger, twenty six, but signed a, a bigger contract earlier on in his career. So he's got you know uh, owed like forty something million dollars, I think, through the next like three years or something, which is not astronomical. It's certainly better than two hundred and fifty million dollars for ten. But I think that you know the Marlins, from what I, everything I've read and, and heard out of Miami, is that if, if the Marlins were able to move Stanton. But then there's a better chance they would hold on to Yelich and trade Ozuna. So I think that's probably the direction they're going to go. We'll, we'll see. I think the one thing is, seems like that the Marlins would probably, you know, force somebody who wanted Ozuna to take on a guy like Brad Ziegler and the nine million dollars that he's owed to get a little financial relief there. And I think the Cardinals could do that. It's only a one-year deal. They've obviously got a couple of arms that they need in the bullpen anyway. So, you know, and the, the money that off, would be offset by not uh, picking up a major contract like Ozuna's would be, I think you could do that. Um, question is, what you again, how many of those guys that you were going to put in the trade for for uh, Stanton would you need to trade to get Ozuna? And then also also the other part of that would be that, um, you know, what impact it would have on, on the other needs that the club has, potential other, other trades. You know, they're not going to just make one trade. I think if they make one, I think they're more likely to make three or four. Rob, um, the, the, just talk of maybe moving Piscotty out to the West Coast to kind of free up the outfield space a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that's a, a realistic thing? I do. Yeah, I think there's a couple of reasons. Oakland makes a lot of sense. I don't know what you would get back in return, but again, it, it gives you a little bit of financial relief because the $30 million or whatever that he's owed on that contract, which again is not uh, not a big deal, but it would almost offset the, the yellowish thing if you were able to do that instead of Ozuna. But the uh, you know Oakland needs an outfielder. Obviously, he's from that area. You know, it would be kind of a I don't know, nice guy, Jester, if you wanted to, in the sense that he would be closer to home. And obviously, everything his mother's going through in the next you know mm-hmm. couple of years, yeah. she's going to be battling those health issues. And don't forget that Dan Kantrovitz is now the assistant GM of the Oakland A's, was the scouting director when the Cardinals drafted Piscotty. So, so I think that there's a lot of you know 
reasons why that makes a lot of sense. Not guaranteeing it's going to happen, but and, and again, you'd have to kind of figure out what who's going to take his place in the outfield if you were to trade him. And you wouldn't make that trade up one and by itself without making another another deal or two at the same time. Rob, the, let's go to the closer situation. And there, I saw a report yesterday, or maybe it was just speculation that Stanton may become reinterested in the Cardinals just before the Yankees news came out. Uh, yeah. If Evan Longoria and Alice Colomb came to St. Louis in a trade with Tampa Bay, which I feel like the closer for the Rays and Colomb is a realistic thing the Cardinals have been discussing, and you know more about that than I do. Uh, was that something that you felt was even a part of the equation, um, bringing Longoria and Colomb in to try to get Stanton, or was that just something totally separate? Well, I guess it probably depends on what you know what Stanton's motivation was. I mean, again, we talked about that a minute ago. You know, we don't really know why he said no to the yeah. Cardinals, why he wasn't interested. Maybe it was simply maybe it had nothing to do with geography. Maybe it had to do with the fact he didn't think it was good enough ball club, and he wanted to be on a team where he had a chance to win next three or four years. He doesn't know the Cardinals farm system. He doesn't know how good you know some of those young prospects are that we just talked about. So you know, we heard the same thing yesterday before all the news broke with San Francisco about if they were to get Otani. You know, they were still in the running for Otani as of yesterday morning. If they were to get him, would that increase their chances of Stanton saying yes to them? So, you know, that, that could be, it could be as simple equation as that. He just wants to go someplace that he thinks he has a chance to, to win. And all of a sudden you put him and, you know, Aaron Judge together back-to-back in New York. I think he's got a pretty good chance to win in the next couple of years in the playoffs. So, you know, that outfield out – I mean, that uh, that ballpark is conducive to hit home runs anyway. So, I mean, it's going to be kind of a, a scary one-two punch, that's for, for sure. But – um you know, I think Colomb is a good possibility. I still think this, I, and, and whether it's Colomb or anybody else, I, I think the Cardinals' path to filling their holes and stuff is still better accomplished through trades this week than free agent signings. I, just, I mean, there's a couple of interesting free agent guys, but you know how much money those guys are going to get with, through the agents. You know how long a contracts they want. And I just think, you know, given the depth of the farm system, given the Cardinals' commitment to you know, bringing up the young players, I think if they could get a trade where they have a couple, three years of control, and not an astronomical price, I think it just makes more sense than going out and spending, you know, 150 to $200 million and signing a guy for five or six years. Like J.D. Martinez, which is, I don't think that's a one. I don't, think that's I don't a, see that. Yeah, I, I think that's a that. non-starter. I think the, I mean, he's a great player, uh, but I, I just think that's a, a, a non-starter. And I, I also think Eric Hosmer is a guy that's not going to work out either because of finances. Would you agree with that? Of the two, I would say Hosmer's more likely, but I don't think either one is probably a really strong possibility at this point. Unless, you know, as I say, we don't know what the Cardinals are thinking this morning either. I mean, they haven't, you know, you know, told, included us in their meetings or whatever. You know, I think I think they feel <laughs> <laughs> well. As much as we want to be there, they kind of, kind of don't let us in that door. But I think that the. Uh, although I will say this, I was kind of surprised by how open they were yesterday with their statement about the Stanton yes. situation. That that was kind of out of character for them to do that. Um, and it did force all the pressure, I think, on Stanton to, to be the bad guy in the situation. So I was kind of happy that they did that. But um, I think, you know, that they're, you know, they need, I think, I think they feel like they need to make a splash. I think they know that the club needs to be improved. They know that they need to have, you know, some additions to the lineup. And they know how good the Cubs are. And they know that they're going to be chasing them for the next couple of years. And, you know, they're, again, they want to be in that hunt and be in that fight without just totally tanking, you know, for a couple of years to, to get better. So that's a tough challenge. I mean, that, that's difficult to do the way that current baseball works. And, you know, yes, they have money to spend. They know the fans are going to respond if they put a winning team on the field. And it's uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of moves they, they ultimately come up with. Let's talk about pitching because uh, cup pitching is a major concern there, I'm sure, as they try to 
reform that uh, unit and the, the Cardinals. I guess Lynn is gone. Uh, Wainwright, uh, we mm-hmm. don't know what to expect from him. Where do you, how do you see the rotation? Well, again, I think it's a work in progress. I, I don't think that there's there's a couple of guys out there. I mean, if you if you're talking to Tampa Bay about Colum A or Colum, however you pronounce it, I'm not sure. Um, you know, I think you also bring up Chris Archer's name. I mean, I think you know, yes. potentially you bring up Evan Longoria's name. I mean, I think there's some ways to maybe make that into a blockbuster kind of deal there, you know. And and all of a sudden, if you put, you know, maybe you trade, you know, one of your current starters for, for a guy like Chris Archer. You know, maybe if you're talking to Toronto about Josh Donaldson, okay, he's only got one year of control. Maybe we uh, let's let's bring up Marcus Stroman's name and see if what uh, what we could do there. So I mean, I think there's I, I don't know that the five guys that you would say right now today will be in the Cardinals starting rotation. You know, in the first of April, will necessarily be the same five guys that will be there in April. Rob Rains, jo- join us for a few more minutes here on Saturday Sports Talk, and we got a, a text on our uh, Castle Heating and Cooling text line and. Uh, this 618 area code says the draft. I've seen the same ex- uh, reference that you mentioned about the not, not being able to draft very high. The draft excuse is a cop out. The Dodgers and Red Sox aren't drafting the top half. They have lo- lots of stars. And my response to that text is that, and you may agree, that the Cardinals don't have the money that the Dodgers and the Red Sox have. Now, they have yeah. a lot more money to spend now, and I think Cardinal fans, deservedly so, need to see them to spend that money in a, you know, the right way, not on just the spend empty money, but. I think that's the difference between the Dodgers and the Red Sox. The Cardinals will never have yeah. that kind of money. And I'd have to, I'd have to sit down and look at the, uh, at their actual lineups to see how many of those guys on both those clubs are homegrown players. True. You know, versus versus the Cardinals. You know, I mean, the Dodgers gone out and spent a lot of money on a lot of big, big players. I mean, they, they you know, they did get Bellinger and they've got Peterson. I mean, they, they've got some good young players that they have drafted and, and been successful too. Seager was a draft pick. I, I know that you know actually went one spot after the Cardinals. Uh, drafted i forget now who it was but it you know so so you're right i mean the card you know i'm not saying the cardinals necessarily have had a perfect draft history i'm just saying it it's it is tougher to to find those quality players when you're picking at that point in the draft as opposed to picking in the top five picks is the major league baseball draft i mean there's so many rounds i don't even off the top of my head on how many there are we know 40. what's that 40 40 yeah 40 yeah, and albert Pujols was a 13th round pick is that correct that's correct yeah, That's I mean, right. think about that for a minute. Albert Pujols, one of the greatest hitters of all time, was a 13th round pick. Is Major League Baseball draft the hardest draft to be successful at because you just yes. don't know? Yes, because there's so many variables. You know, I mean, I think I think there's, you know, college versus high school versus, you know, uh, the level of you know pitching versus hitting. I mean, there's just there's just so many different variables, and, and you're not drafting guys that in, in most cases, even college guys, they're not coming directly to the big leagues. They got to go through the minor league system, and and you just don't know if the stuff happens when you're in the minor league system. You know, some guys who are can't miss players. You know, top you know three picks in the draft. You know, never made it out of the minor leagues. You know, versus you know you talk about Pujols. How about Mike Piazza? You know, at the you know very last round draft pick. You know, or even a undrafted free agent. You know, guys who made it to the Hall of Fame. So, you know, it, it's uh, you know when when King Griffey Jr. went in the Hall of Fame last year, he was the first player ever drafted number one overall to make it to the Hall of Fame. Chipper Jones will be the second, you know. So I mean that that just shows you right there, you know, how how hard it is to get it right. Well, Rob, we appreciate your time this morning. Thanks so much uh, for breaking it down. As you know, we heard those highlights. It would have been nice to have those happen in Bush Stadium with them wearing a Cardinals oh, yeah. uniform. But uh, as a fan myself, and uh, a lot of fun for you to be up in the press box watching those. But uh, that's not going to oh, happen. Sure. Well, and I, as I say, I mean, I think now the interesting thing will be how the Cardinals respond to this. Okay, I mean, yeah, they took their shot. 
They tried. It didn't work. No fault of them. And I, I applaud them for trying. I applaud them for the commitment that they made. Uh, I don't know in their heart of hearts if they really thought they would be successful or not, or if they just felt like it was something that they had to obviously be aggressive and try just in case it happened. But now let's see how they spin it. Let's see what they do you know, in reaction to this and what kind of moves they make. It'll be interesting to watch. Yeah, I know that nationally they're getting a lot of respect for, for the amount of money they offered and the amount of players that they uh, – prospects in return that, that try to get Stanton. Uh, they made the same effort to get David Price. Uh, he was a free agent. But I think they because of the last couple offseasons they made, needed to make some moves, didn't make them. Uh, Cardinal fans, the trust isn't there with the fans, and they need to see something. Um, I'm slightly optimistic because they know they have to do something because they're going to finish in third place for a while. Yeah, I'm optimistic because I think they've got a lot of moving parts that they could that they could move. You know, it, what, as I say, what prospects that'll be involved or which players off the big league roster. I mean, I think there's, you know, you make two or three significant moves, it could dramatically make a big difference to this lineup. Well, Rob, have a great weekend. Uh, are, are you going out to the winter meetings? I've got uh, some commitments here, but I'll be following it uh, closely from from here. Well, I'll be following you on Twitter and uh, hope to bring uh, some Cardinal fans some good news uh, and some roster changes that could help the team in uh, 2018. Rob, have a great weekend, and, and we'll talk to you again Thank soon. Thank you. Yep. Anytime, guys. Appreciate it. Yep. Rob Rains. Uh, give him a follow on Twitter, at Rob Rains, St. Louis Cardinals beat writer for stlouissportspage.com. want to mention this note. Uh, Lauren, I don't know if you're doing any Christmas shopping this weekend. I tried to last night. didn't get a lot done, but uh, this coming Wednesday – uh, the 13th, uh, we need your help here, DWS. The annual Carl Salvation Army Toy Collection drive through event will be Wednesday from 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. It'll be at the Orthopedics and Sports Medicine located at First and Windsor in Champaign. This weekend, you could buy a couple of toys to drop them off next Wednesday or be willing to make a monetary donation so the Salvation Army could buy the needed toys. Uh, thanks in advance for your help. And uh, it's got... It's just snowing a little bit right now, but the conditions are pretty decent to go out shopping and, and help the Salvation Army with the toy drive this year. You want me to give up my toys? Well, I mean, it's tough for you to give up your toys. I, I haven't been to your house, so I don't know how many toys you have. But uh, don't give up your ones you've, you had from 1960, Lauren. <laughs> buy a new one. I don't think those toys probably still work. You still got a an old uh, Atari at your house, Lauren? <laughs> I've probably got a couple of them. Yeah. So uh, anyway, this Wednesday, again, the 13th, the, Carl, uh, the annual Carl Salvation Army Toy Drive. It'll be at Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. It's a new facility located at First in Windsor in Champaign. You've probably driven by it. Um, it's a really nice facility. We got a drive-through there this year, so uh, stop by if you've got time. I get some toys for some needy kids here in Champaign County. We'll take a timeout. We'll come back. We'll look more at tonight's game against UNLV out in Las Vegas. The team has been there since Thursday night, uh, so we'll get some get your thoughts on that. You give us a call three five six nine three nine seven. Texas on the Castle Heating and Cooling text line. Got a couple texts to get to three five one five three five seven. Get your all your thoughts on the Alana the season so far. We can look back at that on the Stanton trade. Anything you want to talk about this morning, we've got time for you coming up next here on DWS. Stay up late with us tonight at 11 p.m. for Fighting Illini Basketball at UNLV at the MGM Grand. It'll be Illinois and the Running Rebels on a game day with Scott Beatty, 9.30 tonight. Welcome back to Saturday Sports Talk on DWS. Some flurries falling on this December 9th, 32 degrees at 1024. Thanks for listening today. You can join us. i uh, got plenty of time for you the rest of the show to give us your thoughts on a lot of basketball and the Cardinals offseason with John Carlo Stanton now going to the Yankees. Not official yet, but that's pretty much a done deal. He hasn't officially waived the no-trade clause, some particulars to work through. I think he has to take a physical, but um, the Yankees are going to be a lot of fun to watch. And, Lauren, I think uh, – 
you'll remember, you, I'm sure you went to plenty of Cardinal games when uh, Mark McGuire, the batting practice uh, fiasco that was, watching him in batting practice and the pools the same way. And uh, But when McGuire was there, did they ever win? No. Okay. Well, actually, they did, but he was injured in – he was there through 2001 or two. I had to look it up. In 2001, he played, but he wasn't as good that year. He had some injuries toward the end of his tenure with the Cardinals. 98, I don't think they missed the playoffs by a lot of games. Uh, but fans were – they would go to watch batting practice. And I think now Yankees fans are going to actually watch games because these guys hit moonshots, and they may do it back-to-back on a regular basis. I, mean, I don't know how you're going mean, to – in that ballpark, are you kidding me? At Yankee Stadium? I mean, those balls are going to go – I mean, Stanton might hit 69 home runs. I mean, he hit 59 this year in that ballpark. That's why – I want the Giants thing um, – I thought that would have been a mistake to him for him to go to San Francisco to play in that ballpark. I know he's a right-handed hitter and left field isn't as bad, but right field and right center in in San Francisco at AT and T Park, you real as a right-handed hitter, you really got to get it out of there, and you really, I mean, he can hit it really well, but I, I think he would hit less home runs by a significant l- number at home. So I didn't think that was the right ballpark for him in terms of his offensive firepower. But Yankee Stadium, yeah, I think he'll do okay. And uh, but Stanton and Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge had an incredible season. Uh, you can't walk on both, can you? Uh, you can if there's two outs and nobody on and the next, <laughs> the next two guys up and then hope the guy after those two gets out. But uh, otherwise, no, you, you cannot walk both of those guys. Uh, I want to make a, a note uh, to the, the game tonight. I want to remind you guys that there will be no postgame call-in show tonight. Really? Because it'll be about 1.30 in the morning when the postgame call-in show would start. And unless Lauren Tate wants to volunteer and run the board and uh, take all the phone calls and text, uh, I, I don't. and Lauren's going to be watching in the comforts of his own home. And he'll be standing up or sitting down, as he mentioned earlier, because he said he'll fall asleep just like I would if we try to watch that game uh, laying down tonight. Uh, of course, you can hear it right here on DWS. So, But we, got still, we still want to hear from you, though. Take your pick. You can use your favorite app on your smartphone to create a voice recording and email it to tditman at WDWS. tditman, that's T-D-I-T-M-A-N at WDWS.com. Or you can use a web-based recording program like Vocaroo. You can send us a text on the Castle Heating and Cooling text line. We still get those no matter whether you send it in off hours or not. We still get all the text messages at 351-5357-217 area code. Tweet at the station, uh, the WDWS account, at hashtag PNC Bank Alani. And then you also leave a message on the WDWS Facebook page and or add News Gazette on Snapchat and send us your best emoji. And we'll compile all those comments, post them here Sunday morning. Tim Dittman is taking care of all this. He's our guru on this kind of thing. So, And we'll return for the Colin show on Wednesday and the Longwood game. So plenty of ways. And go, but go to the blog section of our website, and if you miss some of those ways to contact us after the UNLV game tonight, uh, that's the way you can do it. Some text on the Castle Heating and Cooling text line. Uh, and it, Money doesn't matter for draft success. And I understand that, the 618 area code. What I'm telling you is that um, draft, the draft is a crapshoot. And this is a reference to the Rob Raines conversation a few minutes ago. The Dodgers and Red Sox have a ton of money to spend, and maybe I didn't make this clear, on free agents that are really good. Like the Red Sox got David Price, for instance, last season. The Cardinals were really close to getting him and lost uh, in that battle and went to the Red Sox. The Dodgers and the Red Sox are always going to have more money to spend than the Cardinals, despite the Cardinals getting more money in TV coming up, and they still have 40,000 people going to a game or so every, you know, every game. So the, when the Dodgers and the Red Sox can – 
outspend the Cardinals, the Cardinals are not going to win a lot of the recruiting battles for those free agents unless that free agent wants to go to the Cardinals. Then you add to the fact, and Lauren, that you mentioned this, the team has got a lot of mediocre players. And well, they've got a lot of guys who spent time last season in the minors, practically uh, up and down that lineup. Um, the thing that Hayward and Stanton are telling us uh, we're not getting from anybody else. I mean, these yep. are players who have a choice to go to the Cardinals, make a lot of money, and no. Yep, and, and David Price said be this. somewhere else, and that's scary uh, if you're a Cardinal fan. You've had three guys say no to you now in the last couple of years. Jason Hayward, mm-hmm. David Price, on a, from pitching. He got injured last year, but he's still really good. And now John Carlos Stanton. So you have three major free agents all say no to you. And Hayward was already with the Cardinals. But Hayward is the only one who said why. Yes, he is. the, And I like that he did. And that, it made some people mad. Um and I, I thought the time when he said that, well, the Cardinals are young, too, and they have some young talent. But then we saw what that talent did last year. I mean, Piscotty and Gritchick yeah. and those guys. And we're learning that Piscotty had some off-the-field uh, distractions last year with his mom getting sick. And that's a serious situation for his family. Uh, so, and then he got injured a little bit. So well, I don't. What he saw was the nucleus of the Cardinal team was Molina and, and older members. And what he saw with the Cubs were younger members yeah. who were the nucleus. That's what he was talking about, the nucleus of the team, the standout nucleus. Yes. And, and so we just have to live with that. That's, that's where they are right now. And I, I do appreciate the fact that the Cardinals have been consistent over the years in, in being competitive, where other, other teams like the Cubs and Houston have simply uh, started from scratch mm-hmm. and, and had to live through 100 lost seasons. And those get, when when you even drafting the top of the draft in baseball is, is sometimes you don't the players don't always work out but it has for the Astros and it has for the Cubs yeah, and Chris Bryant lucky even then yeah and look at Jose Altuve well with that that guy I mean look mm-hmm. I mean he's not a very big player but man he is fantastic he is really really good and he has a lot of power at the time you drafted him you would have uh, you'd have some concern absolutely you would. And uh, look at him now. He's he's a, he's not many five six guys are that great. <laughs> he is man. He is amazing. Uh, is he that tall? Something. Maybe <laughs> let's look that up. Actually, we'll have to look that up. Uh, some other texts to get to. Uh, Nancy text in the News Gazette says tonight's Atlanta game is on ESPN two at eleven o'clock. That is correct. But you can also hear it right here on DWS. And uh, on the call tonight, uh, of course, be Brian Barnhart will be on, on the call tonight. I can't remember if it's going to be Doug or Dion on the broadcast with Brian tonight, but you can hear it right here on DWS and our sister station, Light Rock 97.5 WHMS. Again, Illini game day with Scott Beatty gets underway at 9.30, tip-off at 11 out in Las Vegas against UNLV. Benny, a couple texts in from Benny this morning. It's a shame when someone can ruin a high school event by shooting at people. I can't understand what goes through a person's, person's mind doing something like that. I guess a reference to the shooting after the Central Danville game last night. Three people were injured in that shooting, according to Champaign Police. Champaign Police also said that none of the injuries appear to be life-threatening. So it, it, it appears like they're all going to be fine, hopefully. Uh, mentally is a whole other thing. It's a really scary situation. Um, I applaud Scott Frost for coaching UCF in their bowl game after he accepted the Nebraska job. That's the right thing to do. I wish all coaches did that. Well, Hang some, on. That's Benny he's, also texting He's him. got the whole staff. Coming to him, with him, to Nebraska. And they're, who are they recruiting for right now? Nebraska. Where are they recruiting from? What state are they recruiting in? Oh, they're going to recruit in Florida, I'm sure. Yes. <laughs> and he's co- But he's coaching UCF. and I. No, he's not coaching until he's done recruiting. The 20th. This helps I him. Mean, 
of recruiting, if they can win a bowl game, he's like, hey, I'm coaching. I just think that's the craziest thing I ever heard. I'm surprised. Nebraska is all about it. They uh, publicly, uh, Bill Moose, the athletic well, director, yeah. is all about it. He and of course he would be publicly behind the scenes. Maybe was a, he might have been apprehensive. Well, wait a minute. The recruiting's over December the twentieth. Yeah. So th- they'll be coaching the team after December the twentieth. Yes. They got a January one home. Uh, well, recruiting. Game. Wait a minute. Recruiting's only over for the first signing period. So I understand, yeah. but but basically what we're saying, most of the look, Illinois is going to try to sign twenty five guys by the the twentieth of December. How many does that leave for uh, February? Not very many. No, I, but I, I'm I'm exaggerating. Oh, I know. You, you'll you'll bring in a couple in February. I understand that, but my basic point is that they're recruiting for an eight-man staff is right now working their tails off for Nebraska, and then they're going to go back and coach Central Florida for mm-hmm. the December uh, January 1 bowl game. And that's okay with me. I just think it's weird. I, I, I find it to be kind of odd, too, but, um, you know, I, I, think, I think Scott Frost is – head gen- coach is one thing. Yes. We've seen head coaches do yeah. this. Take a job, but finish with the team. But this is the whole. St- he's taking this whole st- eight-member staff to Nebraska yep. with him. All of them. Does I, anybody have? You know, am I the only one that thinks this is crazy? I, I, I'd surprise he's taking the whole staff. The whole staff, you know, wants to go to Nebraska. Well, I shouldn't say that. It's Who's recruiting? Game. Here's my question for you: Who's recruiting for Central Florida right now? Josh Heupel is the head coach there now. He got hired this week, so he's recruiting for Central Florida. Does he have a staff? Oh, I don't. I haven't been following that. I'm sure he's starting to hire. So, so you mean they're going to be paying two staffs at the same time? Oh, I don't think UCF. I think I think all the coaches that are at UCF, their contracts are going to end. The UCF has ended those contracts at some point. Like Scott Frost's contract well, is they're now, all ending December the twentieth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, basically, yeah, the I bowl mean, game is. Uh, they're playing a, a New Year's Day bowl game. January one. Yeah, I forgot the bowl game they're in. But I'm just saying that. I, I, I'm I with you. I'm with you. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Well, a couple other texts uh, from the Castle Heating and Cooling text line. Um, Eric in Champaign uh, says, The whole story for Illinois tonight and tomorrow will be, how did Brandon McCoy do versus them? This is an NBA lottery pick waiting to decimate Illinois. Uh, and then Mookie Betts isn't a free agent. Bellinger, Seeger, Kershaw aren't free agents. I, I understand that. They had a good draft. Uh, they, they got lucky in some of those drafts and also drafted some other guys. Bellinger's a really good player. Seeger's a really good player. But the Cardinals have not been able to get some really good draft picks of late, and I, I don't know where Bellinger was drafted. I don't know where Seager was drafted. But I'm but the Dodgers, Adrian Gonzalez, they spent a ton of money on Adrian Gonzalez. Now he's been hurt the last couple of years, but he was pretty good in his prime. You know, uh, they found some things with Bellinger in the playoffs in late season. I only I only I saw him hit some home runs earlier in the year, and I'm sure that he will break out again, but they found out that he can't hit a breaking curveball in the dirt. I mean, he was chasing balls. Mm-hmm. It was embarrassing. He yeah. was awful yeah, he was in the mean, playoffs. Yeah, well, they had a lot of guys I just wonder line. how good will, he, will this have any effect on him or will he be able to come right out of it? Because we saw Judge do the same thing. I mean, Judge was awful at times. Oh. Just he, awful. Oh, he Five was, strikeouts in one game. That first series he was against the Indians. Or and the yet, Indians. Uh, you, if you throw it over to him, he'll, he'll – Knock the tar out of it. No, he'll but they're, they're, both Bellinger and, and uh, Judge uh, were going after bad pitches. Too many. Yep. You've got to restrict yourself from swinging at pitches out of the strike zone because if you don't, you never get one in the strike yeah, zone. They're just th- going to keep throwing it out of the. Strike they get zone. ahead of you. They're not going to throw you a strike. And, the, and the, back to the the text. My my only point is, and I'm not defending the Cardinals. I mean, and the the drafts haven't been as good. They ha- they have they have a a pretty good farm system. It's highly respected uh, how it is right now. 
But my point is, is they haven't spent the money, and they don't, and they're not going to have the money to spend the money if they get. Hayward didn't have a good season offensive the last couple of years, but if they get Jason Hayward, if they get David Price, if they get John Carlos Stanton, you know, then then they're a better team. But they're trying to spend money now. They haven't tried to spend this kind of money in the past, and the draft has not gone well as well for them in terms of getting superstar talent. Although Alex Reyes is really good, um, so I again, there's just no, you, I, there's just I don't know why we're trying to compare Boston and 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 L.A. Those are huge markets with a ton of money. And if they and when they spend money on free agents and they draft well, they're going to be really good. And the Cardinals haven't drafted as well and haven't been able to spend money at least get guys to commit. Uh, let's go to the phones here real quick. We'll take a timeout after the uh, go to the phone call here. Let's go to uh, John in Decatur. John, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing fine. How are you guys doing? Not too bad. Um, well, what I was going to talk about first, I could say you Cardinal fans, you guys need to step out and take a big breath. You guys are going to stroke out before the season. Happens. I can't believe the Cubs win the division this many times. Have done this. You guys relax a little bit. It's going to be okay. It's just going to take a little while. Yeah. Um, I don't know okay. what you're hey, saying. What, what do you mean? <laughs> here's my question. We're we're trying. Cardinals are, are competitive every year. What we're trying to do is figure out how you can get past the Cubs. The Cubs are better than they are right now. <laughs> I know, but 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 you've never had this in your lifetime. Really, at this extent. There's been so. somebody uh, competitive or better than the Cardinals every year. It was Houston for a while. It was Cincinnati for a while. It was Milwaukee last year. There's been the Cardinals have been the one consistent member uh, fighting off a number. Pittsburgh was really good. Yeah, so uh, there. don't yep. tell us that we have <laughs> the Cardinals have been up against it uh, forever. But they've made the playoffs okay. almost yeah. every year. They've yeah. missed the playoffs the last two years, and I think fans are getting restless. And well, <laughs> you're restless when you have a team that doesn't have star players. There's no star player now. You can say Molina's a star player, but he's the tail end of his career. He's really, yeah, he's at the tag end, and he's doing a terrific job. But They've got to figure out a way to, to fill positions with guys that don't spend half the time in the minor leagues. Well, and they told Matt Carpenter last offseason, before spring training, we're going to put you at first base, we're going to leave you there. Now they're telling him this offseason, eh, we're going to move you around again. Yeah, and but it's, so it's if like, Jerko doesn't go well, then they put him on third base. Yeah, it's <laughs> just like the musical chairs with you know with some of the guys in the line. I mean, who's going to play where? Sorry, John, what's your question? Okay, what I'm wondering, the last football game I went to, I noticed this. I listened I – listened, to, to you, you guys' broadcast on radio all the time. That last football game, you're so far behind the play, you know, I couldn't even listen to the radio. Yeah, I know. Watch the game. That, too. That, the that football game or basketball game? Ba- football game. Yeah, the football game, the last football game. Now, this is snowballed into basketball, too. Right. Now. Why is that? Well, um, I, I don't want to get too technical, and, I'm, and my engineer at Bond it, it could probably explain it better, um, and so could others, operations managers. But I, I know the basketball game – uh, we had to get the broadcast of the game from a different source um, that night. That's just uh, I forgot what game that was. It might have been the Maryland game. Uh, forgive me, I can't remember which game it was. But we had to get it from a different source, which then put it way behind. If you were at the game listening to your headsets, which we greatly appreciate. We know a lot of fans do that. They'll listen to the game or even listen to it while they're watching it on TV. Um, it gets way behind, especially when you have the second source. And sometimes, I mean, when you're watching a game in, in – you know, HD, it's it, it's always it's going to be behind. It's really hard to sync it up anyway. Uh, but if you're at the game, we obviously don't want it that far behind. Well, that last road football game, there was a commercial break early in the ball game, and they never got it back. They were um, – <laughs> how far were they behind, John? It was oh, – quite, quite a bit. And the thing is, you know, these announcers, like when Bardo was on the, on, on the – 
TV the other day. If I want to sit and listen to a conversation about Duke or a conversation about uh-huh. somebody else, then I'll go to a talk radio show. I'm here to listen to play-by-play of the basketball game, and I'm not getting that. It's terrible. Well, what I'll tell you about TV uh, play-by-play, it's a lot different than radio. When you hear Brian, and, and, and Brian does a great job, um, you can't see it. And so Brian has to be very descriptive exactly where the ball is. You know that why that's important? If, you, if you're watching the game and you don't know the other team very well, and they don't tell you who has the ball, you don't know. Exactly. I mean, the players are too Correct. similar, and it's very hard. Now, with, with uh, radio, you get the play-by-play, and you know who the players are. So if you, can, if you can sync the radio to the TV, you've got a chance to follow the game and know who's got the ball and who's passed, made the pass or who's, who's shot the ball. But with TV, they only, they only mention, uh, the only time they mention anybody is when they score. All right. Well, yeah. John, we we got to run, uh, but uh, appreciate your call. Thanks for listening as always, uh-huh. and uh, always uh, chime in anytime you want. Uh huh. Go line eye. Yep. Uh, we'll take a timeout. Al and Carl, hang on. We got to we got to get a break in. We got to get get a break in. So uh, uh, hang on, Al and Carl. Anybody else? Three five six nine three nine seven. Text us on the Castle Heating and Cooling text line three five one five three five seven. More coming up next here on DWS. I walked out as the team was getting ready to take the floor. And I walked into the coach's locker room and I asked him in the, in the locker room in front of the team, I said, what did I say about our locker room? And they said, you said it's a morgue. I'm not used to that. I'm used to guys bouncing off the walls. I'm used to guys ripping doors off and, and, and antsy and ready to play. And uh, there's a passion that you have to have to play. I try to bring that every day. I try to do my job every day with the same consistency and passion. And I, I expect that from our team. And I told our coaches, I said, this is a Morgan here. You know, and, and I got on my son after the game. He's been around it. He knows. I don't care if he's playing or not. He can, he can help there. And um, you, you get so few opportunities to be as blessed as our players are to be at this university, to wear that jersey, and to go out and play. And, and we've got to have, have some passion. Thirty-three degrees at ten forty-six. That's Brad Underwood after the Austin P game the other night. The Illini escaped, as Brian Barnhart said on the broadcast, sixty-four to fifty-seven. The Governors gave Illinois everything that it could handle, but the Illini were able to escape with a win. And uh, Brad Underwood is not happy about the locker room aspect of this team and the, well, and the lack of energy. And personalities are different. Yeah, you're different from me. Oh yeah, I'm different from the guy that uh, that the guys that sat down and, and did a row uh, rowing or a uh, Olympic rowing or whatever <laughs> it was. You know, after a touchdown, yeah. I could oh. never. I couldn't <laughs> do that. I love I mean, that stuff. By the well, way. sure, but I mean, uh, people are different. That's yeah. all I'm saying. And and uh, you're asking. Uh, a group of Illinois players who, if you took them individually and you took Black or you took uh, Finky or you took DeMonte Williams, these are not demonstrative-type players. Mm-hmm. These are not guys that are going to be celebrating after a, you know, a so-called touchdown. I mean, they, they wouldn't. Th- th- that's not their uh, style. And now he's, gonna, he's trying to change that, I yeah. understand, and maybe he's been around players that were that way, but these guys are, are not the. They don't have that kind of. Pa- it doesn't mean they're not trying just as hard. Oh yeah, they're it, trying it just. Ju- hard, yeah. It just means that they don't. It's you don't see it, and you don't see the passion. And 
do you think that using the word morgue like he did publicly and several times, uh, it's is a little bit of coach speak, and sure. so these guys can hear this. Yeah, he's yeah. trying to get them to do things, but you don't. I mean, he used it in front he, of them, by the way, he, in the locker he's, room. He's of of that mode that thinks that games are won in the locker room. I'm of the mode that thinks that the, the, a quiet team can come out and be just affected. That's me. I don't think you have to be loud. He wants people talking all the time. Uh, teams that don't talk lose. I've heard him say that repeatedly in practice. Teams that don't talk. Well, you've got to tell your guy that uh, watch out for the pick. You've got to do those things. But sure. he wants chatter. He wants something mm-hmm. that went away in baseball a long time ago. Remember when they, you, I know you may not know this, but there was a time when everybody chatter. Come on, come on, come on. Everybody was saying some kind of chatter on the end. Hey, batter, batter, batter. Yeah, yeah, hey, yeah, batter, yeah, yeah. It's just stupid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, we did it. And because we were raised that way, I, I, mean, I, I but uh, I, I just don't know. I mean, he's trying to change the culture, and that, that's probably good that it, that he wants it to be that way. But it's hard to make people who aren't naturally that way uh, change. It, it definitely really is. Let's go back to the phones here. Start with Al and Fisher. Be quick so we can get through several phone calls. Al. Yeah. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Uh, comment a couple questions. Uh, I just want to remind Lauren a couple weeks ago I called and said there would be several defections from the football team, and I was right on there. Uh, Everybody said that. We lose eight or nine every year, Al. We we knew it was going to happen, I don't know about how many starters have we lost the last few years. I I can't recall, and that's not a good situation, Lauren. I don't care how you spend that. You lose starters and they leave, that's a problem. Okay, let's take each one. Number one, uh, Nelson got in trouble with a coach on the sideline. He was done from that moment. Uh, as Trey far Watson. as Lovey's concerned, uh, Trey Watson. Uh, Trey Watson graded out very poorly and r- repeatedly by the coaches, and would not have started if they hadn't lost uh, Harding, and he knew that. And also, he and his his mother got into it with Lovey way back when he was injured. So there were all there's all kinds of ex- extenuating circumstances or uh, other factors involved. Um, that fans don't me- know about. Me- yeah, that that right and. and and Meganson had basically been told after two years giving starting opportunities that he just simply wasn't good enough. wasn't He wasn't going to play, so he he's yeah. leaving and going to Illinois State, which may be the right level for him. I don't know, but there's a, there's a story behind each one, and I'm I'm being um, I'm being told to hurry up here, <laughs> so uh, that's all I can well, say. I guess. Yeah, I know. It's just not good. I just know a lot of people aren't going back to the games next year because it's not fun anymore. Sure. And I'm. Uh, have you heard of any staff changes? I'm just shocked that there hasn't been any staff well, changes. Don't, don't be you? shocked until December 20th. He would not make any changes before recruiting is over, and that's another couple of weeks here, less than two weeks. So that's what you're going to see. Uh, there there probably be some changes at that point. I don't know, but they're not going to change before the 20th. All right, Al, thanks so much. we got to run. All right, guys, thanks. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Let's go to Carl. Carl and Carl, oh, lost Carl there. Sorry about that, Carl. Uh, um, hit the wrong button. Call back if you'd like. Uh, Lee in St. Joe. Let's go to Lee in St. Joe. How are you, sir? Pretty good. Uh, Michael, Lauren, I got a question. We've had a debate here and uh, just wonder about s- some of the problems, you know, we're having getting the football and the basketball going and it's all in regards to the academic standards uh, at Illinois. How, how, where do you find that information, how we rate within the Big Ten, and where do you find it? Where do we rate nationally, uh, like in comparison with the ACC or the SEC? Are you talking about enrollment or are you talking about academic yes. standards? 
Well, isn't that kind of both in the same there? Uh, the players getting in from the no, middle. I mean, I mean, there's blue chip players being able to go to other schools that can't. Get anybody that we can, practice. anybody that we can get in, they they have enough support that they'll get them through. I don't think we have to worry about the student athletes after they get in. I, with me, it's all enrollment. The right. fact that well, we can't take right. massive numbers of junior college players because they can't qualify. I mean, that, how do we? I mean, do does like Ohio State? Are they able to get players that we can't get in school? Absolutely. Absolutely. How do we fare in the Big Ten in that? We I mean, fare. We, uh, I know as far as I know, Wisconsin and and uh, Illinois are, are the two most stringent. I think you can probably uh, get in Iowa and Indiana a lot easier. But uh, I'm I'm telling you, I don't know how many years I'm behind when I make these statements because I don't know what's happened in the last couple of years. Uh, I was told that there, uh, in fact, one of a former player told me that they were they were making good inroads uh, at the time that Weiss was uh, chancellor, but when she left, uh, that may have fallen through. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what Josh has been able to. Uh, uh, accomplished in that area, and I don't think he's going to tell us. I, I Is think that it, all a school decision then? Well, yeah, it's not an it's not a university, it's not an athletic department decision. Really? How does the Big Ten stack up with other conferences then? Tougher, or is it? It is tougher. Sure. Yeah. All and right. so we're, we're if we're one of the top toughest ones to get in the Big Ten, and Big Ten's one of the better ones, so we're battling an uphill battle then. Well, in some cases, yeah. In some cases. All right, okay. Lee, we got to run. Thanks so much. We appreciate right, it. Thank you very much, guys. Yep. yep. We'll take a timeout. We'll come back and wrap up the show here on DWS. Welcome back to Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. He's Lauren Tate. I'm Michael Kaiser. Thanks for joining us on this Saturday morning. One of them had a caller earlier today off air ask us uh, if the Illini volleyball team, when they're going to get back. The team uh, returned yesterday, so the Illini team is back here in town after the loss yesterday in the Sweet 16 to Michigan State in four sets. The Spartans move on to the Elite Eight, a really tough, hard-fought battle uh, for the Illini volleyball team last night. Let's take one more quick phone call, and then we'll uh, wrap up the show here. Let's go to Gary and Muhammad. Be quick, Gary. Um, yeah, hi. I just... You know, I listen to people call in talking about um, the coaching and the changes and things. And, you know, I mean, the reality is Lovey was left uh, with a bare cupboard. I mean, we had a guy named Beckman who came in here from, you know, a, a conference that arguably is, is not the most prestigious. And I think, you know, we have a, a tendency just – you know, to start barking and whining, you know, if he doesn't bring a winning team in. I think if we sit back and, and you know, let Lovey do his thing and recruit his players um, and give him the time to do so, he'll bring us back to at least respectability. I don't know. I doubt if this is ever going to be a national championship caliber, you know, football program because it's more of a basketball school in my opinion. But – but I think if we give Lovey the time to do so, he'll bring us back to respectability. That's that's just my two cents. Well, we got to be patient. There's no doubt because he, he didn't have enough players. There's yeah, patient. You're right on about that. Yep. Thanks, Gary, for call. We appreciate it. Uh, Lauren, any final thoughts on the game tonight? Uh, UNLV has uh, Brandon McQuaverage with 20 points at 11.2 rebounds. Better hit the boards, and I'll tell you that. Shakur Justin, 14.7 points and 11.9 rebounds. I think that's going to be a factor tonight. 
if the Illini could find a way to have some kind of defensive setup to where they can slow those two down inside, they might have a chance. But if those guys are getting the ball at will inside, it could be a long night for the Illini. So we'll have to find out. Thanks to our guest today, Mike Turk, Illini track and field coach, for joining us at the new facilities this week in his program. Robbie Hummel, the Big Ten Network, former Purdue Boilermaker, and Rob Raines. Thanks so much for your uh, calls, your texts, most of all for listening. Thanks, producer Evan Kahn. Have a great weekend, everybody. Illini game day tonight at 930 Central Illinois Business is next here on DWS.